It's This Week in Sleaze with your hosts, King Who and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Would Let's Talk Some Fucking be a suitable sign-on? Does it match our fang? You know, what do you think, Joshua? Food for thought. What do you think? I'm always in support of something that... Uh... Absurd. Yeah, I think I mean, I mean, shows are that way that they, they have a sign on and a sign off. I, I don't let's mm-hmm. let's talk some fucking is a good sign off, but uh, I'm, I'm warming up to the idea. So um, you know, it's it, for this episode, it's maybe not as uh, suitable. Well, well, mm-hmm. well, when we get to William Hose uh, scenes, uh, as we'll explain, th- th- then it will be suitable. But okay, some food for thought, uh, b- and let's start uh, as we. During this run of This Week in Sleaze, I've been covering the seminal work of uh, one of the eras, the 90s era, that is, and one of the ratings better directors, Billy Tang, or Billy Bloody Tang. Uh, I thought it'd be nice to continue the coverage. We did it early on with a special on Dr. Lamb, me and King Who. We did a commentary on Red to Kill, again with King Who, and Stuart, uh, the master of Podcast on Fire Network, watched it for the first time with us, sort of... um, and we didn't dis- destroy him, thankfully, but uh, that was interesting, having a reactor in the background. Uh, so for this episode, we are continuing with uh, the remainder of Billy Tang's sort of classic Category 3 stuff from this era of note. And it's 1994's Brother of Darkness and 1993's Run and Kill. We will be doing them in that order. And both are graphic. One is more hilarious than the other, if you have a dark sense of humor, which I do. So... Uh, well, uh, you'll be the judge of that, I guess, uh, listeners, if uh, if it's funny or not, if you do watch it as well as listen to this. And my name is Lisa Kay, and with me is, as you heard, the great lord, Joshua Regal. Yes. Yes, and there, there is the great lord, who will not do that voice for the remainder of the show. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I want to merge Batman and uh, the pirate. <laughs> as well as we always do. Uh, anyway, we are also joined by someone who's, quote, once fought a bear using only harsh language and vulgar gestures. That is an excerpt from his bio at Amazon.com and something that Amazon surely didn't come up with for themselves. He's one of the New York Asian Film Festival's founding members and co-directors. He's a blogger, including he did a lengthy one on Billy Tang's legacy. He's a snappy dresser. This man can rock a pink suit and uh, have no shame about it. <laughs> and he's the author of Satan Loves You and Recently Occupy Space, which seems like a title directed to me, but uh, whatever. Uh, we welcome Grady Hendrix to the This Week in Sleaze screening room that is located all the way at the back of the already grungy porn store where we broadcast this. Buenos dias. Thanks for having me. <laughs> welcome, Grady. Uh, we are not try. We are not going to corrupt you or destroy your innocence. Um, it's too too late. much. Too late. Okay, good. When you put on a pink suit, I guess that has something to do with it. I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, maybe that, that's just a one-off. But I've seen pictures of of Grady in, from the New Occasion Film Festival rocking a pink suit. So I, I, I don't I, know. yeah, I used to have a very very nice uh, three-piece suit made of tiger fur that I got made in Hong Kong. Uh, fake tiger fur. But uh, I, I'm too old and fat to fit into it anymore. But in my younger, skinnier, prettier days, I wore that a lot. Right on. 
Uh, okay, we'll we'll get to uh, Grady and uh, some questions for him and what what he's been up to after the brief contact information. And this is this week in Sleaze thirteen on the Podcast on Fire Network. The website for this and all the other shows is podcastonfire.com. Email for feedback for all of the shows is podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We still have the message forum up. It's closed for registration due to spam problems. But on there you can find the old members only archive of extra conversations and extra reviews and what have you. And that is at podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. The bonus episodes where we do all the exclusive content nowadays is on the website. So look for the category called bonus episodes. And again, as we will say, as we always say, me and Joshua will do a bonus or boner episode when we conclude our rape by an angel coverage because we will be talking of the unsubtitled rape by an angel 5 the second rape by an angel 5 there were two ones strangely enough uh, the second one was directed by dick lau and that is also true uh, so look forward to that and uh, but the discussion has moved over to Facebook, so join us over there. Like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF Network. And if you follow the link on that page, you can go to the discussion group, request to be added, and you're in and join the fun in there. And follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My writing of, among other things, category free movies, I do some some detours into ninja stuff and uh, Taiwanese movies, uh, so goodreviews.com and sleazykvideo.com is where I'll do mini video reviews of uh, such movies. And finally, I am on Twitter as well, twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. iTunes and Stitcher for is the way you can have your podcast delivered to you. On iTunes, we now have a separate This Week in Sleaze feed that you can subscribe to. So if you like the show, leave us a rating and a comment that would certainly help us and we would very much appreciate your feedback and on stitcher you can stream the entire podcast on fire network download it to your computer it's free or download it from your nearest app store to your smartphone or tablet and once you're in type in podcast on fire network and you can add each show individually and finally the man who does the intro that you heard and the outro you're about to hear at the end of the show is brian kirby of shelflifeclothing.com who provides snappy wear if you will retro t-shirts of uh, made up um, made up movies uh, t-shirts have posters of made up movies and what have you or they are mashups of different movies very very cool would look good with a suit i guess uh, so check out shelflifeclothing.com and joshua they, for once we have you know it, it's it's not going to be six months until this episode comes out like uh, it used to be so now you kind of maybe can talk of stuff that it's been done recently or is coming up in a month or two on varied celluloid so go ahead no way no way dude <laughs> yeah uh recently we've been doing uh halloween horrors on varied celluloid.net yeah, so it's early october right now yeah basically it's my attempt to try and do 31 different reviews you know throughout the month whether I'll actually get to that goal or not you know it, it's kind of iffy I normally get between 28 and 31 so it, you know up in the air but you know i'm gonna do my best and all while balancing school work and podcasts and whatever and uh so, <laughs> the other day i did like three reviews posted in one day because i had all these screeners i had to also review so it was like <laughs> one horror movie and then like two others you know comedies and whatever and uh yeah so there's a whole lot going on with buried celluloid and if this comes out in october you can 
go check it out and check out the daily posts or whatever. And if not, look forward to Kung Fu Christmas in December, which I'll be doing basically the same thing, but with Kung Fu movies right. or martial arts movies in general. Would that be uh, up until what date is the Kung Fu Christmas running? Is it up until the 24th or 25th? Usually the 25th, right? you okay. know. And and this is early October, so have you seventh of October? So have you done seven reviews, Halloween reviews, horror reviews so far? So far six. I haven't posted the seventh. I mean, I have a backlog of about Slacker. seven more. I have a backlog <laughs> of about seven more reviews already written. I just have to post them. So. And it's a variation of uh, Western and uh, Eastern horror. It's whatever you know. Okay. <laughs> just all kinds of craziness uh i reviewed uh like a, t- a lot of italian horror so far i guess mm-hmm. i reviewed uh luigi cozy's uh the black cat uh which was kind of a shocker that it was pretty decent it's you know a lot better than i expected it to be kind of like a whole allusion to dario Argento's uh, suspiria the whole movie kind of like focuses on the same story that that movie was influenced by and uh also i've done uh dario Argento's. uh what is it, the Phantom of the Opera, which is hmm. pretty horrible, but, you know, it's not as bad as I expected, you know. But I'm also going to be doing, like, a Creature from the Black Lagoon. I'm going to try to do some uh, classic, you know, universal horror and stuff like that that I really haven't, uh, you know, really given a whole lot of time to. I've never hmm. actually went into those movies. You know, I've seen, like, Dracula and Frankenstein and stuff, but I haven't, like watched them as an adult really so that mm. should be fun are you into hammer at all uh yeah i want to get into hammer you know i've only seen a few films here and there but uh you know, that's another thing probably going to be either the, this uh, halloween or maybe next well well it's it, it's always going to be out there uh mm-hmm. thankfully the availability is still going to be pretty great at least for the uh essential stuff from yes. hammer or, or from universal obviously so and I also should mention that I reviewed uh, Brother of Darkness, too. So. He couldn't wait <laughs> to unleash his thoughts. <laughs> Nobody reads it anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, the cinema, then. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, have you recorded anything that has not been released as of early October? What's going on? Uh, a little bit. Uh, people can look forward to some changes with the cinema um, during the next episode. The show's going to be going in like kind of a different direction john's kind of taking the reins and kind of switching it up going to become more of like an asian film but also just like you know general asian type stuff you know we're going to be talking about some video games going to be talking about uh television shows whatever you know the, uh, the arts what have you so mm-hmm. and also film reviews too so i mean it's going to be a kind of like a mishmash of like uh, smaller segments and stuff like that and john's already i've already done one little segment with him and we're going to be doing another segment and he's already got a couple other things in the bag so it's it's going to be interesting right on looking forward to that and back to you grady plug away what's what what's been going on in your life what what's your main endeavors right now well, I mean, these days I'm I'm doing less film festival and more writing. Uh, I blog just for kicks over at GradyHendrix.com, which is just my name, which is G-R-A-D-Y-H-E-N-D-R-I-X. Um, and that's uh, – I'm doing sort of a Halloween countdown right now, just brief stuff about movies. And then in November I'm going to plunge into – I'm obsessed with uh, – 
all the the sort of alternate history stuff that came out in the 80s about the Soviet Union invading the states, like Red Dawn and stuff like that, mm. USSA and all that. So I found all these trashy, horrible books and movies I'm going to be going through in November. Um, but uh, mostly writing. I mean, my wife owns a restaurant in New York called Dirt Candy, and uh, we just uh, – Random House just released the cookbook we did uh, called Dirt Candy, a cookbook. And, uh, but it's, uh, we, it's a graphic novel. It's sort of the first graphic novel cookbook to come out in the States. Hmm. And uh, we worked with this guy, Ryan Dunleavy, uh, who did a comic called Action Philosophers. It was pretty popular here. Um, so it's basically half of it's the story of the restaurant and all this narrative stuff and about half of it's recipes. But it's a, it's a great big honking graphic novel slash comic. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Graphic novel, comic book. Our editor calls it a graphic novel, but I sort of feel like that's the difference between porn and erotica. It's like it's just like, you know, the, the, the economic level of the person consuming it. If they're poor, it's porn. If they're rich, it's erotica. So, um, But so um, – Anyway, so uh, doing that and then um, Occupy Space is out and Satan Loves You is out and I'm finishing up a book that uh, to give to my agent that we'll probably no one will buy. Um, and, uh, you know, that's sort of it. Oh, and I'm also, this is, I hate saying something about this because it's probably going to take until next year to get it done, but I'm doing two books on Hong Kong films. Um, One's going to cover the 70s and 80s, and one's going to cover the 90s and 2000s. And um, it's going to be a lot less Jackie Chan and John Woo and a lot more like, you know, uh, Kirk Wong and Lee Lick Chi. So it's going to sort of focus on the more obscure stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's probably going to be self-published, or the New York Asian Film Festival is going to come on board and put it out under their name. But uh, right now, you know, the technology is so good. You can put out a really nice hardcover paperback book for pretty cheap that looks fantastic so um i've tried to sell something like this before and publishers just aren't interested you know in doing something good with it so this will be a nice package but i think it's we're looking at next year before it comes out certainly decades that are even if you focus on a few specific things these decades are still a mammoth Oh, they're huge, yeah. I mean, it's like the book, I'm doing the 90s and 2000s one first, and I think it's going to have something like 180 different films sort of reviewed and covered and written about. And and I'm trying to focus on doing it by director, because I feel like there's often this attitude that Hong Kong is a genre, you -hmm. know, or like all Hong Kong action movies. And I feel like it's really, we need to start putting names and faces on the films, you know, and I'm always surprised that that was starting to happen, and then fandom sort of stopped being so interested in Hong Kong movies, and that sort of stopped happening. But, you know, I mean, people need to know who Billy Tang is. They need to know who Ivan Lai is. They need to know who Kirk Wong is and, yeah. you know, Jingle Ma and all these people. No, and no Andrew one needs to know about Jingle Ma. <laughs> hey, listen, you should rewatch Hot War. It is one of the funniest. Watching it now, it's one of the funniest things you're ever going to see in your life. That I haven't seen, so maybe I'm open to it. But uh, r- write something on his cinematography skills and not directing skills. It's just my <laughs> naive recommendation, Grady. But, uh... Well, I got to say, though, Fly Me to Polaris is a good movie. I mean, it's cheesy as hell, but I love it. It's effective. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, while we were talking, I was, fa- uh, I was thinking that I do very much agree that it's important to put uh, names to movies because even Category 3 movies... You know, Category 3 became a symbol and a genre also, which is a good and bad thing because uh, it, it allows it to kind of thrive and be noticed. But after a while, you do need to uh, 
I think, extract who the people were creating all of these things, including yeah. Billy Tang. No, I agree. It's uh, it's it's just this idea, you know, it's this idea that a country or a nationality is a genre. It's just kind of like, you know, it's, it's 2012. We need to be a little more sophisticated than that. Alrighty, we'll uh, go in deep on that very Billy Tang in a little while, but uh, yep. just want to grill you a little bit, uh, Grady, about uh, your writing. I mean, what came first, fiction or non-fiction, and what do you personally prefer to focus on as such? Well, you know, I was, uh, I, I was a journalist for a long time. I mean, that's sort of a fancy name. I mean, I wrote about movies and stuff for everywhere that would have me. I mean, I've written for everywhere from like playboy to world literature Ooh. today um you know and for about 10 years i supported myself as a freelancer and um uh and, and that in about 2008 that work just went away there is no way to support yourself as a freelance writer anymore uh in the states and um so i sort of made this jump to writing fiction which is an incredibly stupid idea because like <laughs> but but it's it's you know i write pretty fast and i write to deadline and so you know i've done a uh co-authored a, a young adult series called the magnolia league with a friend of mine from high school that's out from little brown i did this cookbook with my wife i've ghostwritten one book that i can't tell the title of um and you know i and sort of the stuff like Satan loves you and Occupy space. I just put those things out on my own because I was working on so many things with other people. It was like I wanted something where I could didn't have to listen to an editor. I didn't have to listen to a co-author. I could just do whatever I wanted. And um, mm. it, it's a nice way to blow off steam. But so now I support myself vaguely by writing fiction, which is fun. And, and I do a little nonfiction too. Like I write for film comments still. I've, they're doing a big article for them about the Mad Magazine movie parodies uh, that should be out by the end of the year. Um, so yeah so that's that's that does this uh neatly coexist with your new occasion film festival endeavors as well or do you like to balance too many things or are you that kind of creative person well you know it's funny it's like i've had to step out of the festival a little bit i'm i'm the head of the board now because we've become an official non-profit but uh one of the guys who founded it, uh, we found it together, and he's only sort of the last man standing besides me from the beginning, Goran Topalovic. He, uh, he's in Pusan right now um, at the festival, uh, schmoozing and drinking with Koreans. But he's really taken on the lion's share of it. Another guy, Dan Kraft, they've sort of like are doing a lot of it. And, you know, this year we brought over Donnie Yen. We're up at Lincoln Center and all this stuff, and that was entirely them i mean i sat back and lent a hand where needed and i'm helping with some fundraising stuff but you know the festival we do it for love i mean we break even every year and it's only in the last three years we've been able to give ourselves like a thousand or two thousand bucks at the end of it and it's a it takes five months of your life and so it's like it, it's a it's a killer hobby uh it's a little like heroin you know it's a fun <laughs> hobby but it will destroy your life if you're not careful so um so, yeah, so I've stepped back a little bit. I mean, next year, they just uh, seem to be having the plan for the big focus next year and the big guest. And it's pretty – I'm, I'm really surprised and impressed they're able to pull this off. So I can't say anything about it. They won't announce it until next year, but I, they're doing a killer job. Lamb suet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then you have to step back into the Q&A shoes, I guess, if uh, they bring back a lamb suit. Like, I'm handling this motherfucker. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know. So karaoke. Hell yeah. Sing. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I've only been able to glance at the festival from a distance, obviously, but for, because the various um, Q&As have been filled and what have you. Our very own King Who has been attending for the last oh, sure. year for two or three years. But it looks like so much good fun, and I'm glad that the focus has been on Hong Kong as well, because, okay, I don't keep focus on all of the festival all over the world, but I always get the impression that there, there's not enough interest in Hong Kong or, or to warrant the investment i guess the emotional investment and the financial investment to to focus so much on hong kong movies uh, it seems like japan and korea i don't know safe bets in that regard but you guys do go the hong kong route and bring over guys like a few years ago you you got white Kafai over there right and uh, things like that so so good on you for for keeping hong kong alive if you will Thanks. Well, you know, the thing with Hong Kong that's so crazy is, I mean, you know, look, there was a huge implosion in the 90s. And the the fact that it came, you know, with the Asian economic crisis, but the fact that it came just as all this press was kicking off in the U.S. about Jackie Chan making Hollywood movies and Chow Yun-Fat and John Woo and all these guys. And, and then, you know, everyone goes to check out the latest Hong Kong movie and they suck because they really sucked for a few years there. Mm. And, you know, then the narrative became Hong Kong movies are dead. And, you know, it's smaller, but I think the industry is actually pretty strong right now. I really do. I mean, you've got all these local films like the McDull films or Motorway mm. or uh, the election movies from Johnny Toe or Echoes of the Rainbow, movies that are like so incredibly local um, that uh, – and they're doing really well. And they're actually, you know, Pang, the fact that Pang Ho Jung, who's like the most local filmmaker in Hong Kong, the fact that uh, Love and the Buff was a big hit in mainland China really proves that there's an appetite for this kind of thing. And they don't have to make these international co-productions all the time, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get an audience. So, I mean, that that I think it's really finding a balance, you know, and I think. I think if the mainland film industry is going to like stabilize and, and become something that survives and grows, it's going to have to take a lot of cues and a lot of talent from Hong Kong. Definitely. And I think it's not wise to wish for how it was, which is unfortunately the kind of impression you get from reading yeah. the internet. That, and, and, and unfortunately, it's due to physical stuff like age, but age, but it's also a different age. Uh, yeah. way back and when the, the 2000s were a different age surely the 90s definitely and, and and so on and so on well you know it's it's when you look at the fact that hong kong was turning out what 250 movies a year for a population of like ranging from six to nine million people that's not sustainable that's a mm-hmm. bubble you know like that and it, and it popped you know and it's like i think you know they're turning out what now i think it's like 50 to 60 movies a year which is a lot more sane and a lot mm-hmm. more sustainable yeah, you can't have troublesome nights six to twelve in a one year span anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, someone who uh, you know was part of the nineties and all of that, and that came and went. Kind of, um, I'm sad to see him gone, but uh, the legacy is still there. Is of course Billy Tang. So before we go into Brother of Darkness or Run and Kill, I mean, in general, what's your take on Billy Tang and his? Uh, I mean, the meaning of Billy Tang in the industry overall. Well, you know, Billy Tang was sort of uh, in that brief moment when Category 3 movies were, were hits at the beginning. When, you know, they were, I think it was 89 when there was the first, when, they, when the, like, the certificate was created. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those true crime movies that were coming out at the beginning of the 90s that were doing really well. I mean, Untold Story was the only one Billy Tang wasn't involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the real king of that. And I really think, I don't know what was up with the dude. I don't know if it was his collaborators or his script writers. Or, he just seemed to really have some real fire in him 
to make these movies. And I think, you know, Dr. Lamb that he was involved in and then Red to Kill and Running Kill. And I'm not a big fan of Brother of Darkness, but I'll put it in there with those anyways because I think they're of a piece. I mean, those movies are he, – he delivers a singular a vision of the world as a auteur, if I may, as someone like Dario Argento used to, or Romero used to, or, you know, John Carpenter used to. I mean, he was a really serious horror director who I think has three great films and one decent film under his belt. And I don't know what happened after those movies. I mean, I feel like ever since then, he's sort of been chasing the market rather than, you know, sort of dominating the market. And, Mm -hmm. You know, Haunted Karaoke and Dial D for Demons and all this stuff, they got their moments, but they're they're not the same. He doesn't seem to give a shit anymore, and he used to really care. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at something like especially Dr. Lamb, Red to Kill and Running Kill, I mean, just how insanely singular that vision is across those three films, it, it's, it's undeniable. I mean, he is a horror movie director to be reckoned with. You know, more famous directors in the West have made less films of lesser quality, and they're considered part of the canon, and I think he should be also. Yeah, it's always, you can always have a fear about what happened, uh, and one theory could be, uh, it comes from me, that it, there was so much anger here that that bubble popped. You know, I can't say yeah. anything anymore. After Red to Kill, which I think was his last Category 3 movie, if I yeah. remember correctly. I mean, it, it seems like... You exactly, where do you go after that? So, um, but, but who knows? I mean, uh, you, you can only theorize after what came after was definitely not... Occasionally flirted with the free, if you will, but they, they were so different. It was black and white uh, yeah. in terms of anger and, uh, and vision, too. Uh, but, um, yeah... Back to you a little bit, Josh. Before we before we continue, H- how recent is like your discovery of Billy Tang, or or, or have you you know going back ten years? Did did you no. first see a Billy Tang movie then? Or? No, I'm very new to his work. Uh, basically, you know, before I was uh, you know, blessed with being on the show, I was originally just a blessed fan in of... quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, blessed with being on. The show. I was a, I was a fan of This Week in Sleaze, and uh, I remember you know I. Had, probably seen the names uh you know red to kill and run and kill i'd seen that like back in the day on like blackest heart video and stuff but you know it, it it's hard to find you know reviewers and stuff of cat three movies that you trust and who are actually you know talented and can actually express what the movies had to say especially back in the day and i'd seen you know little blurbs about them and stuff but i just i didn't know what they were all about but then I heard uh, King Who and uh, Sleazy K talking about him, and you know I pretty much rushed out to see Doctor Lamb, uh, Run and Kill, Red to Kill, all in like a span of like a month or two. You know that's you know back when the show first started, and that's basically how I discovered the bloody one. Yeah, yeah, that Billy Bloody Tang tag is not really flattering. Well, what are you gonna do? I mean, even Herman Yao got labeled. Hong Kong gore father based on like two movies. Untold story and any Ebola syndrome. Great, but yeah. that's not what Herman Yao is. Really. Right. Way more talented than uh, Untold story and Ebola syndrome uh, <laughs> alludes to. But uh, they are great. I always said that Ebola syndrome would be great if it was, if it was in a 4D. Yeah, 4D. <laughs> scratch, you know, <laughs> scratch and sniff. 4D would be uh, fantastic after Anthony Wong uh, <laughs> masturbates into the, into the meat. In yeah, I actually syndrome. think scratch and sniff isn't the way to go. You need something that <laughs> spews different vile fluids on the audience, you know? Yes. 
<laughs> oh, that's an idea. Uh, that's a fun idea. These movies, at least one, is not a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, we, we, it's more grave seriousness at this weekend's least uh, during this episode. But after the slight musical break, we are going into the plot and background and a little bit of costing crew information on Brother of Darkness from 1994. So sit tight and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and first of all, a plot, Brother of Darkness, for Brother of Darkness, that is, and it's uh, taken from my review of the film, so it's, it'll be, be kind of a crap plot, but uh, that's uh, that's where it is. Uh, the character of Wong Quento, played by Hugo Ng, lives with his adopted grandparents, but it's a far from happy or safe family existence. His brother Wa, played by William Ho, constantly frets the family and wants nothing to do with his adopted brother, gravely abusing him because of it. With Wa in prison, the family tries to live happily, and uh, Toh's girlfriend, Jenny, played by Lily Chung, seems like a great step towards that, that happiness. But once again, Wa is let out and continues his domination over the family. And a little bit of background, uh, the stars, um, Hugo Ng and Lily Chung, uh, they were in real life during this time, husband and wife as well. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when they married, but regardless, they appeared in Ivan Lai's Daughter of Darkness, where Lily, who was, of course, the star of uh, Red to Kill, by the way, she was the abused one in Daughter of Darkness, uh, with uh, Hugo Ng playing the, uh, playing the uh, supportive boyfriend, I suppose. Uh, but Billy Tang turned tables here by making him the abused one and her the support. And this was hardly an accident that this trio of actors, Lily Chung, Hugo, and William Ho, were put together in a movie again. Um, Door of Darkness was was William Ho. Uh, he co-starred in that one. So s- someone was clearly out to echo the exploitation concept again, but not in the expected way. As again, it's the male at center being hurt and abused, and that male is the actor Hugo Um. And he was born in 1956, August 29th, 1956, in Singapore, and gained popularity on TV in his native country before he signed a contract with TVB and went to Hong Kong in 1987. And in the late 80s and 90s, he was known as one of the four little kings. I don't know actually who, who the other three are. I have little familiarity with Hong Kong TV, so... His roles, Hugo's, in costume dramas made him continually popular, um, beloved even, uh, by audience. And uh, he even made a record uh, and attempted a singing career, but for unknown reasons ran into trouble. And that led to him and his girlfriend being blacklisted by TVB. And my only fear is that they possibly breached contract by, he did, by recording a re- uh, um, an album. But it, re- it resulted in a lockout of, uh, out of Hong Kong TV for 10 years. And he went into making Category 3 films and even debuted as director with two of the movies carrying the rating, which was the prison movie Jail of No Return and the AIDS drama Fatal Encounter, which starred his wife uh, Lily Chung. And 
they, they are quite remarkable, at least one of them, because uh, both are in sync sound, which I appreciate. I mean, classy choice for a Category 3 movie to have live sound. But on a personal note, I really liked Jail of No Return because of that stance on sync sound. But clearly, Hugo was in awe of working with veteran Ku Feng and really brought out the best of his supporting act in that movie. And, and having said that and talked about Jail of No Return, I'm, I actually don't... I don't think that was category free. Uh, it had a it had a tape release in the UK with a lot of freeze on the front cover, but I think actually it was uh, just two B. But but check out Jail of No Return if you can. It's uh, quite a uh, quite a powerful and gritty one. Uh, in two thousand and five, he made his comeback on TV finally on the uh, TV show Danger Man, and. Recently, his career has been bright, brightening up on the mainland. He has signed a contract with the Ch- Shanghai Television Company. And over this time, this history, uh, him and Lily Chung actually divorced. and uh, But they, they have a son from their relationship. So Lily Chung, she won the Miss Hong Kong Universal Beauty Contest in the early 90s, I presume, and started working for TVB. But when her 90s would be category 3 tinged, really, as, uh, as early in 1992. And it was a, a joy discovering this movie i didn't know of it before it's called the rapist beckons it was released on uh, vcd only in hong kong uh, like uh, two three years ago it's really solid gritty violent affecting uh, rape revenge movie so um co-stars uh, who is it ridley Choi and an actor called carol wong which uh, you know, when you see him and his name, you don't associate him with being one of the most heinous, you know, character actors who are playing heinous uh, characters, you know, villains. But Carol Wong is really fantastic. Uh, a Category 3 movie that he was in was uh, The Underground Banker. Uh, but he, he's just, whenever he snaps into bad guy mode, Carol Wong, you know, you know he means business. He's an um, underrated cinema you know danger if you will <laughs> so um ch- check out underground banker if you can listeners it's a really solid one with um with anthony wong and dr lamb makes an appearance in that one the character of dr lamb has been let out of prison and moves in next to anthony wong's character and dr lamb is played by act uh, lawrence um, from sex and sen and they make dr lamb a hero in that movie <laughs> and that is all kinds of offensive right there because dr lamb was actually based on something real <laughs> dr lamb wasn't let out in real life you know he, uh, so there you go but 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 that, that that's the beauty of hong kong 90 cinema especially that all bets were off you know we will we will mess with anything politically correct if we like to do it and wong jing who produced that movie was probably Heading that, you know, train of thought. <laughs> Let's put Dr. Lamb in a movie, it'll be funny. <laughs> and they did. So it's good fun. Going back to Lily, she has never really broken out of the category free mold, although, you know, she's been in ca- movies that didn't carry that rating. For instance, Modern Love was a romantic comedy. She did Sexy and Dangerous for Billy Tang, which was a kind of light, uh, young and dangerous parody satire spin off kind of thing. With uh, the, the main gang was. Um, consists or uh, consisted of all the women in that one and she plays a character called AIDS. uh so that, that that's her mainstream work but nowadays it seems like her work on film is more of the low budget kind and a title from a few years ago says it all it she appeared in a movie called external affairs 
what are you gonna do you, you gotta go with the work is i guess and um, that's where the work was in external affairs and believe me that was due to infernal affairs obviously really game actress we we will watch daughter of darkness one and two for this show eventually i mean uh, uh, she she's in the first but uh, it's good to pair those two up but uh, you know based on very little work i mean two or three movies if you focus on two or three movies you can see this is a very game and dedicated and even you know skilled actress based on red to kill alone which is a brave and really well performed role in my opinion so what's your impression of her josh haven't seen her maybe in only two or three movies yeah um i think she does she played um the how do i say it uh, the off girl mm-hmm. in uh <laughs> red to kill and that wasn't probably like the most uh, defining performance you know that was uh, a little bit insane a little bit over the top but uh she definitely you know showed me something different in uh, brother of darkness and she's kind of a all-around uh actress she has some talents for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 that's where you and i disagree i think red to kill is a very skilled performance oh, really? i know yeah I, I do i mean look at ben um and compare her to lily chung in that movie you know it's nothing See, over the I top. Love him in that. <laughs> okay yeah i do i also do but uh yeah Fight after the show. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Grady? I mean, you've seen. Uh, I'm going to go with you. I, I actually think her performance is fantastic in Red to Kill. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of an admiration for her because the movie gave her a lot of notoriety in Hong Kong. I mean, she the whole scene where she shaves her pubic hair or slashes her vagina with a razor, it's hard to tell what's going on in the shower. That became notorious in Hong Kong. It became like a centerpiece of the ad campaign after the movie was already out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got to say, it's hard out there to be an actress. And I think it's really hard in Chinese film to be an actress who does Category 3. And, you know, she's done so many movies and so many bad movies and i i just i have so much admiration for her just for being out there and bringing home the bacon yeah for sure and based on so a, a very sparse filmography it's great that someone has come that, that someone walks away with uh you know overall a good rep i mean i'm, I'm sure yeah. her transition into mainstream work wasn't easy for her to do and, and based on what we have right now she couldn't transition into it like a shuke or a veronica yip um, but, right uh, and, and, you know, she's makes, she makes a ton of bad movies. I mean, she goes, it seems, where the paycheck is. I mean, did, she made something like, what, 23 movies in, like, 2001 to 2004? I mean, but, you know, I, I really respect actors who just work like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. On to William Ho, then we're into the review. Uh, we'll, there's a lot of things to say about William Ho. Uh, a lot of it I didn't know, which was a joy to find out there uh, for this podcast Sylvia Roram of our very own one-armed podcast on the network helped to find the biographical info on this raping madman of <laughs> an animal of Hong Kong cinema and uh, it turns out also William Ho is kind of a pimp you know overall you know if you look at his life uh, nowadays and uh, outside the movies but anyway born in 1948 and considered to be one of the here we go with another name to sum up a few people and their reputation consider one of the four wickeds in regards to his villainous persona on film i don't know who one some of the other four wickeds are maybe anthony wong but it is actually a reference in itself to a jin uh, jin jong wuxia novel referring to characters who kill and dismember people and are nasty and ferocious so you know that fits but william 
before entering the entertainment industry as a as an on-screen actor and all of that he started a newspaper and was the editor-in-chief and that was profitable for for a year or so but ho lost everything to gambling over a three-day span it said <laughs> so but in 1977 he started to manage actors such as ray loy giant fat and and i'm hoping that that was the time when giant fat was called aman chow that was his english name i love the name aman um my sense of humor but uh there you go uh maybe ho was the one who got chow into one of the 70s movies a drama something i think it was called something our affairs but a drama that had a hardcore porn version made out of it but but without obviously the participation of giant fat and the actors he was literally inserted afterwards uh, so uh, there you go giant fat was in a hardcore porn movie believe it or not <laughs> maybe we should look that up if it's subtitled and get that on the show so let's ask him who <laughs> uh, other actors he managed was uh, alan tam uh, so um, he has also worked as assistant director on the henry henry silva starring lung po chi directed fox bat and he was also the assistant director on Jumping Ash, The Servants for Ronnie Yu, which William Ho also co-wrote. And he's listed as executive director on Teresa Wu's Life as a Moment story, which is, uh, I think it's a time travel drama kind of thing. Uh, so it's the closest we got to William at the helm, if you will. But um, international audiences might recognize William from Prison on Fire. He plays one of the, um, one of the uh, inmates in that one, supporting role um, at best. That story of Ricky, obviously, is uh, one that, uh, you know, maybe no one connects that movie to his name, but he plays, at any rate, the warden that comes in late at the film, along with his obese man, child, son, kind of thing. (laughs) And ultimately, is the final villain, slash the monster that Fan Siu Wong fights and grinds to a pulp in Story of Ricky. That's William Ho for you. Uh, But... Once the night is really hit, he got to live out his psychotic and, and animalistic tendencies uh, on screen. I don't know if they were there <laughs> in real life, but uh, something happened when uh, the cameras turned on. Uh, once the Category 3 explosion happened, and uh, William Ho has taken over some movies and chewed the screen a lot in, for instance, tonight's movie, but also Daughter of Darkness. And even as um, me- uh, in the movie Below the Free, uh, really memorably in Choi Hawks, so unseen and therefore underrated love in the time of twilight so it's uh, all one of those vcd laser disc only films uh, that never made it uh, to dvd as such but uh, check out love in the time of twilight if you can find it it's really good he worked up until 2006 but made a guest appearance in a 2011 mainland movie called either happy tears or tears of happiness in english but here here's the fun part he works the club circuit, and um, when he uh, when he's not doing movies, well, well, he seems to be doing that only. And there's several videos of him as an MC at the Amani nightclub uh, that po- that's possibly in the mainland, where he wears a hilarious, brightly colored dragon suit, and he sings. And it seems like he's so popular despite having no real singing ability. And there's close to a dozen videos on Chinese video websites of of him. So I gather there's enough popularity in terms of uh, William Ho, the karaoke man, I guess. And, uh, and before I end, uh, end this, uh, Sylvia passes along her thoughts uh, on working on this info for me. So, quote, I thank you for asking me to research this guy because I enjoyed having my mind blown by watching him perform <laughs> karaoke on the mainland. 
and you'll see a link to one of these videos in the show post. So that's William Ho for you. What's your notes on Hokakoi, William Ho? Great. Uh, I love him. You know, I think, God bless him. He's been in a zillion movies, and he's a bastard in every single one of them. And the guy is phenomenal. Um, and oddly enough, he, I, I, he was part of that sort of crew of Ringo Lamb, uh, that stable of character actors he used in all his uh, movies. It's not so much in City on Fire, but, you know, Prison on Fire, School on Fire, the uh, Prison on Fire 2, Wild Search, all that stuff, um, along with uh, Tommy Wong and mm-hmm. uh, Roy Jung. And my theory is, this is a theory, it's not based on a whole lot of facts, but, um, you know, Ringo Lamb was sort of a sissy boy. Uh, at the beginning of his career, I mean, he was a he was a he was in the TV the actors training program where he met Chow Yun Fan. He he went to film school and all this stuff, and he was driven. But his brother Nam Yin, I mean, his brother was by all accounts a bit of a tough guy, and actually served some time in prison, and hung around with sort of a rough crowd. And it's really with Prison on Fire, not so much City on Fire before, but with Prison on Fire, Nam Yen wrote the script and apparently based a lot of it on his own experiences and experiences of people he knew. Um, now, if Nam Yen wasn't actually in prison, but was just basing on people he knew who had been in prison, who were friends of his, I, I stand corrected. But from what I understand, he had been there. And that was around the time that, like, uh, Tommy Wong, Roy Jung, and also William Ho all came into the Ringo Lamb movie. So I get the feeling that they were all – that William Ho was sort of a, a friend of Nam Yen's who came into uh, – prison on fire and sort of acting via via Ringo Lamb's brother basically and you know thank god he's just like torn up the screen ever since he's one of those actors who can only exist either in Hong Kong or an alternate universe where John Waters designed the Hollywood star system I mean (laughs) his performance in Daughter of Darkness is just incredible and some of the stuff he does I have to imagine it's improvised, like where he puts the peanut shells between his toes and or between her and licks them and all this stuff. I mean, it's just he's just so willing to go completely over the top in a direction few actors will follow him. I, I got to admire the guy. He, he has it in him. It seems like just appearing on set and when they yell action. He, yeah. he goes from zero to 100 pretty fast, it seems like. Uh, um, Unless he was at 100 before they called action. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on a rape now, now, now. <laughs> Call action already so I can... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. yeah. Breath of Darkness is kind of a signature, signature performance. So we'll actually move into the discussion and review of this. And uh, unlike other times, we'll, we'll actually take turns a uh, little, uh, little bit here. So if we start with you... Josh, in terms of your thoughts and review of Rubber of Darkness, and we'll and and, and we'll have some chat in between if uh, if you will, if we have any questions uh, respectively. So, like or dislike, first of all, for Rubber of Darkness. Uh, like, pass it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go on. No, uh, it's a film. It's different than what I was expecting, and the fact that you know I expected just kind of pure general sleaziness from it. You know, not really knowing much other than, you know, the director and his previous films. Are, are, but, are, are uh, you kind of always expecting the worst out of movies uh, from, <laughs> from this time? I mean, I, I mean, you, you're not as familiar with them, I know that, but are you kind of like, uh, it's probably going to be bad, it's going to be bad, ooh, <laughs> it's better! You know, yeah, I kind of, I hope, you know, it's like, you know, I, I want it to be kind of sleazy and nasty, but uh, when I get something that's a little bit more... You know, there's always that, you know, mix of uh, general nastiness and, 
you know, also, you know, as aesthetically pleasing film, you know, something that's actually technically very good, you know, that's always nice. Mm-hmm. And I find that, uh, you know, Brother of Darkness for me is kind of that. I know there's going to be, you know, mixed reactions to it. It's definitely a film that uh, pushes buttons in certain areas. In some ways, it's kind of melodramatic and over the top. But in a lot of ways, I think it's uh, just a really kind of good movie. It's something I, I know I'll go back to and watch again. And uh, it's one of the only films I've ever heard of. Uh, was it hypergonadism? <laughs> technical term, I believe. Yeah, that poor Hugo Mass. So that's his. He has his. Um, he has problems with his fella, his little fella, yeah. if you will. <laughs> his, li- his fella, which he shows on screen. You know, which is something that we'll probably talk about. Yeah. But, uh, but but but, yeah. but but this is what to be expected from this era of Billy Tai, that these are better looking movies, they are more well made and they have skill behind them. It's not as you know, low low rent and grungy as many of the movies that followed. So so expect that all the time kinda of, with Billy Tai from this period. We, we uh, which I guess you've seen now. I mean, you've seen Red right. to Kill, Run and Kill. You see, there's a better, better filmmaker in here than. He, you know. He's a genre defier. You know, he kind of does whatever he wants to do. And uh, Brother Darkness. You know, even going back to that hypergonadism thing, which was something that I was actually sure was probably made up, but in actuality, it is a real disorder. And uh, you know, as far as I can tell, it can be caused by a knee to the groin. Even though that's kind of like not you know most common you know way to develop this or what have you you know generally it's uh, comes with like uh kind of felter syndrome and stuff like that and it's a genetic abnormality but you know it can be caused by a severe trauma to the testicles so yeah, yeah. You, you would think because otherwise this movie is not very well subtitled uh, mm-hmm. It has some funny, you know, chinglish, if you will. Uh, so you would think, like, hypergonad is a... <laughs> oh, yeah. Then Google, oh. <laughs> like, gonads, yeah, right. <laughs> Whatever, but, no, it's, it's legit. Overall, yeah, I was just pleasantly surprised with the film, you know. I gave it on my website, I gave it a four out of five. That's how much I generally liked it. And um... Do you think the outrageousness of William Ho fits nicely with the kind of tender story that takes uh, center stage in the middle between uh, uh, Hugo and Lily. I mean, do, do, do you think all the I elements com- kind of fit? I compared it to, because, like, underneath all of this stuff, there is some, like, legitimate, like, you know, stuff being said about abuse and everything like that. And, you know, and I've seen some of that stuff in my life, and I kind of know what it is, like, when uh, people are abused and stuff like that, and I know what it is to sit there and be scared of someone despite, you know, like our lead character, um, you know, Hugo learns, you know, martial arts and Taekwondo. And even at the beginning of the film, you know, he could totally kick his brother's ass who's coming into the house and being just this total jerkwad and everything like that. But he's still reserved right up until a final moment when he steps up to the plate and everything like that. Hmm. So, you know, he, he's scared of this character because he's been scared of this character his entire life, you know? And... You know, there's stuff in there about that, and I enjoyed that. There's also the thing with uh, William Ho is that he's very funny in the film, but it also it's it's in my mind it's pure horror as well. Right. Do you think do you yeah. think those can coexist or do coexist well in this movie? I think he has to be a bastard in the film, you know, and I think that he does an excellent job at being a bastard. I you know compared it to um, 
the Takeshi Kitano film, or well, he stars in it, he didn't direct or anything, but Takeshi Kitano and uh, Blood and Bones, I believe is the name of the uh, film, directed by a Korean-Japanese uh, filmmaker. And uh, in that film, it's kind of a similar plot, except that, you know, you have a father who's abusive to everyone in his family, and just from start to finish in that movie, Kitano's just this son of a bitch. You know, he is just a horrible human being, and he makes life hard for everybody. And, you know, you have this William Hose doing basically the same thing. He's just this antagonizer, and he ruins everything. He's just there to, you know, push buttons. And this film kind of, you know, it, it goes in, you know, the expected kind of route with, you know, a little bit of vengeance finally or what have you. But it's not very pleasant. That we know of because it's actually open right. uh, uh when they off in the aftermath and we see the court case and then it flashes back which is a common structure for the category three movies of uh, this kind of uh, true uh true life movies or not so so it's not a spoiler really that uh, william mm-hmm. was actually dead at the beginning of the film yeah yeah it opens with that and kind of kind of a daring thing to do but then yeah the entire film's told through the device of you know flashbacks or whatever so yeah generally i just i like the film mm. And what did you think of Billy Tang's uh, handling of uh, Lily Chung and Hugh Gomes' uh, relationship? Because you don't associate Billy Tang with uh, with heart and tender, uh, or, or heart and being tender necessarily. So, so what did you think of his handling of that? Oh, I think that's I, I enjoyed those moments. You know, it's really kind of hard stuff to get across. You know, between these two, and because he combines yeah. it with a lot of sex and and mm-hmm. like graphic Very insinuations. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and it's graphic insinuations of you know oral sex and what have you but he come and, and it seems like there's a whole reel of this right but but it's for dramatic purpose uh, because of his uh problems with uh with uh with his with his penis obviously <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a mix of you know we're throwing this in now she's naked you know it's appeasing you know the genre you know it's kind of you know this is what people want to see or whatever but at the same time it's not you know sexy or anything like that because there's this guy going through hell basically mm-hmm. you know his own internal torment that you know he has this beautiful you know girlfriend who he loves and you know wants to help her and wants to you know fulfill her but he's unable to mm-hmm. you know and, and that thing is it's it comes across very well you know you know exactly what's going through this guy's mind once it's revealed and you know how hard his life's been because of that and uh yeah, I think uh, it's handled with better care than it probably would have been in other hands. Mm-hmm. And you get husband and wife, or, or well, if they were not married, I think they were definitely involved at this point, uh, Hugo and Lily. And I mean, they they seem comfortable with each other, you know, mm-hmm. on all levels uh, as actors and uh, being being naked with each other, obviously too. I think you mentioned in your your review that you were surprised that that there was not a whole lot of violence in the film. But but do right. do you think it gives off a nasty or a hard hard-hitting aura, despite not being gory or such? Uh, you know, it's not a movie that, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not like Mindfuck, you know, I can re- recommend <laughs> Nothing is like one. Mindfuck. <laughs> <laughs> I can recommend this one to people, you know, I can sit there, you know, this one's not, you know, very harsh, I mean, you have William Ho, who's just horrible in the movie, and he will grate your nerves, because, not because of his performances, like, bad or anything like that it's that his performance is good and the fact that you just hate this guy you know mm-hmm. he's he's a perfect heel and uh that's about the only thing that's really you know antagonistic about the film i think you know other than you know there's some sex in there and if you're prudish you probably wouldn't want to go into this film but 
other than that, if you're just a general film fan, I think that it's it's a little more open than uh, some Cat 3 stuff would be. I would think if you, if you were prudish, you would kind of appreciate that this film uh, takes a little bit more care. At least during mm-hmm. that section, that middle section where they are trying to have sex. There's a point to it, you know? Yeah. It's not uh, just exploitive to be exploitive. But then again, it has sex scenes like between William Ho and his wife, Shampoy K, that starts with rape and leads to pleasure. Uh, pleasure, you know, for the WAP. <laughs> so, oh, you know, it, it, it is out there. It is pushing buttons, uh, buttons, definitely. Let's move on to you, Grady. Yeah, I really, I'm not a fan. I, uh, <laughs> for me, I mean, Brother of Darkness is fine, but I guess to me, a Billy Tang movie that's fine is a Billy Tang movie that's somewhat pointless. Um, you know, there's got some great bits in it. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Hugo, I am sexual deformation and, you know, showing his limp dick on screen and William Ho burning the kid in the butt with the cigarette and stuff. I mean, it's got good stuff. And, and, but I'm also somewhat prejudiced in the sense that, um, as soon as a Hong Kong movie has a courtroom scene, it's like my brain just sh- shuts down. It's that same stupid fucking set they always use. It's those tatty <laughs> barristers' wigs, and you know. And in this movie, I just feel like Money Low and Anthony Wong are so wasted. Um, right. And 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 you know, hey, he probably had them for like a day. Um, I, I guess to me, um, I think the, oh, he, I, I think he had them for lunch. Yeah. You know, what I mean, for for thirty minutes, you know, shoot the shit out of this and then leave. Um, they were, yeah, exactly. And and so I guess for me, the thing, the biggest problem with the movie is a conceptual problem in that I don't think it's based on a true crime. It is. But yeah, so it, supposedly it is. Um, and uh, but I feel like Billy Tang's gone in both directions with true crime stuff. I mean. And and also, I think, with genre stuff, but with true crime stuff, you know, he, he either hews really, really closely to the facts and really, really, like, locks down on stuff and gets so detail-oriented, like in Dr. Lamb, that mm-hmm. it gets really intense. Or he goes the other way and, um, you know, he just burrows into these disgusting details. Or he goes the other way, like Red uh, Running Kill, which is also supposedly based on a true crime where he uses the barest outline of the crime, which was a mainland gang murder thing, and just spins off this insane, violent fantasy out of it. And I feel like with Brother of Darkness, the burrowing down he does feels a little cliched to me. Oh, God, I can't get a boner because my brother's you know, psychologically castrated me and I have this problem and I've got to reclaim my manhood. But, oh, in the process, I lose my humanity too. I mean, eh. And or but he also hews closely enough that he doesn't spin off into this amazing sort of like nightmare like it does in, in Red to Kill and Running Kill. Um, and it's also like, uh, Josh, you were saying like genre. And I really feel like, you know, Billy Tang is a genre director. He uses genre and the, the constraints and the expectations and the cliches and, and the, 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 the things that make a genre movie a genre movie. He uses those things to really, I feel like, subvert them to some extent. Like, even the most serious gore hound. Hey, whoa, it's a, it's a horror movie called Red to Kill. And really, you're not having a good time by the end. Um, I mean, it is rough stuff. And, and Running Kill is the same way, where it's like, oh, yeah, awesome. It's this action horror thing. And then by the end, you're like, Jesus Christ. Like, I, I want my movies to go far, but not that far. <laughs> and I feel like with um, 
Brother of Darkness, he doesn't go he doesn't use those genre elements so much. He doesn't he doesn't exploit those genre elements as much as he feels to me hampered by them. You know, the, he delivers the revenge, he delivers the courtroom scene, he delivers the lovemaking scenes. And but but I don't feel like he he undermines or subverts them or or lets them spin out of control the way he does in his other movies. And finally, I got to say like you know, uh the the thing this is a personal prejudice, and so read into this whatever you want about me personally. But if I see violence in a movie, I want that violence to be over the top. You know, if it's just someone punching someone, eh, go fuck yourself. If it's Jackie Chan punching someone and they flip over a railing and ride a chandelier, awesome. If I see a sex scene, I want something like from Chinese torture chamber story where people are flying through the air and stuff. <laughs> I just showing a sensitive scene of lovemaking. It's like I can watch the Red Shoe Diaries, and it's it's and I feel like Billy Tang does do a really good job of controlling his wilder impulses in this movie and showing these sensitive sex scenes between Hugo Ang and his wife and stuff. But to me, that's missing the point a little bit, and I almost feel like he might feel the same way about this movie based on absolutely nothing but my own personal <laughs> desires. Because after this, he makes, I mean, almost immediately, I think even in the same year, he shoots uh, Red to Kill, yeah. which just goes over the top in all the ways that Brother of Darkness doesn't. Um, but I will say one great thing about Brother of Darkness is, and it sort of pulls people's attention to, I think, the unsung hero of Billy Tang's early career, which is his cinematographer, Tony. Yes. Uh, uh, Tony, I've seen it spelled Mew and Mao both ways. I'm not sure which it is, but uh, I'm going to go with Mew King Thai, Mao King Thai. Uh, but he was one of Andrew Lau, you know, who directed Infernal Affairs and the Young and Dangerous series and all that. He was Andrew Lau, and who also shot a lot of Chunking Express and uh, As Tears Go By. He was Andrew Lau, was part of Andrew Lau's camera crew. And um, is is uh, a DP on a lot of movies that uh, Andrew Lau directed, like Ultimate Vampire and Rhythm of Destiny. And a lot of the better-looking Category 3 movies out there, like Eternal Evil of Asia and Chinese Torture Chamber Story, are shot mm-hmm. by him. He did Red to Kill, Run and Kill, Brother of Darkness. I'm pretty sure he shot Dr. Lamb. I think and the- so, yeah. Yeah, and these days he's... Um, He's working on stuff like he did Gorgeous, Jackie Chan movie. He did The Warlords for Peter Chan. He still does stuff like for Wong Jing, like Naked Soldier. But um, but he, Brother in Darkness looks great, and it looks a lot better than it should. And and I think a lot of that, a lot of using those blues and that neon and a lot of that stark geometric framing that Billy Tang does is his, his influence. It, 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 they, they always looked good, these movies. I, I fully agree. I also think someone that does come from... I think Billy, Billy Tang thinks visual... Uh, as a, you know, honed visual uh, mind and skill. Because if you look yeah. at movies that... Like Devil Touch, one of his character 2B movies, uh, I think it's Lost, looks fantastic. Despite Tony, I think, not shooting that. So I think... Uh, they collaborated well in that regard. At least Billy learned along the way uh, mm-hmm. something. If he wasn't into visuals as such, then working alongside Tony definitely uh, ignited something because yeah. uh, the women in De- Devil Touch, including Pinky Chung from Rape by an Angel uh, 4, uh, uh, 3, I mean, 3, I mean, looks you know gorgeous in that movie. You know The women are shot so well. So, so I think the, that was a collaboration uh, that... Right. Uh, well, I also one. think, even when you go back to Dr. Lamb, I mean, in that movie, Danny Lee 
directed all the cop scenes, and Billy Tang directed all the stuff with Simon Yam and Lam Go Wan. And Tony Mew is the DP on both parts, but the Simon Yam stuff is so much, those kill scenes and those things are so much more imaginatively edited and imaginatively lit and and directed. It's just you compare him to Danny Lee's stuff in the same movie, and it's night and day. So I think you're right. I mean, all the credit shouldn't go to Tony Mew, but... I mean, I think I think Billy Tang does bring a lot to the table as a director. I uh, I stand in for Josh Camp, if you will, in terms of liking Rebel Darkness. I think you bring up a lot of cool points, Grady. But what I think is, I'm glad personally to have this uh, this other side of Billy Tang that that could coexist during this time, because even if it meant like getting one less insane Billy Tang movie, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad we got this, and the others still are more than enough i would i would have loved 10 more equally good of course equally good movies uh, which is impossible uh, but uh, i think to have this in the midst of this you know i think it was you that wrote what was the quote like this apocalyptic ferocity in these kind of movies so uh, i think right. you wrote that quote grady on your blog i mean i th- think that's very much true and i'm glad to have bro- to have brother of darkness as kind of a temporary Calm down, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, fair enough. T- you know, take say, uh, School on Fire and Ringo Lamb's next movie, Wild Search. W- Wild Search is Ringo Lamb, for me anyway, exhaling, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And right. in a good way, though, because I love Wild Search. It's one of my favorite uh, Ringo Lamb movies. But but anyway, I I do dig uh, to have, you know, you know the, the, the courtroom stuff, I mean, it's pedestrian and all of that, but I, I do kind of am weak for this kind of structure, this familiar structure in 90s category three movies. And uh, the main thing that, you know, what, what takes main center stage here is issues of, as Josh said, abuse and assault. And we realize the twist a, a few minutes into the fi- film that it's the male that's going to be abused. So it's it's not the expected exploitation, but uh, it, it opens all kinds of dark opportunities that I think Billy Tang utilizes uh, and still survives as I alluded to when I was talking to Josh about this, still survives having William Ho as this loud, abusive, almost comic character based on how the subtitles come out and what he says. But, you know, he's such, still such a force. And you, I'm not laughing a lot at what happens here, but a lot of the things that he says amidst all the madness, you know, what was one of the subtitles that he has to put out his fire, you know, so he has to have a woman now, you know, and he starts raping Lily Chung, you know, put off my fire! You know, it is funny, but ooh, uh, oh, you know, you 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 get kind of on, you twitch a little in your seat and all of that, and uh, that section where Hugh Um's character is still a kid, you know, uh, obviously they didn't hurt the kid or anything, but I think they put that kid through a little bit of hell with <laughs> William Ho being so intense and raw and unflinching, you know, uh, it looks a bit scary to be for a kid anyway. To be uh, near William Ho, but then again, when the, when Billy Tang yelled cut, maybe William Ho was uh, like a cuddly teddy bear. Who I, I don't know. Uh, maybe he had that in him, cl- close to him as well, to like make everyone comfortable. Because when they yell action, you're not going to be. But remember, I'm William. You know, <laughs> I have my dragon suit. <laughs> you know, remember me? I do karaoke. But um, yeah, and and the underdog story I do enjoy. Uh, you know, all of these are, are cliches. I realize that, and uh, but but I, I am a, I, I was affected by by the underdog story that leads to the places that it does when he finally fights back. Uh, uh, you know, at the end of the film, I know he fights back occasionally in the film. You know, when he when he 
buster move, you know, uh, utilizes his kung fu skills and all of that. And when he does, you know, he dresses down William Ho easily because he's a weasel of a character. You know, oh, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. I'll do anything you want. You know, he, he has that close to him as well. You know, it's black and white with uh, William Ho, but he, he's, um, he's, um, he doesn't learn anything from that, obviously. Yeah, because uh, what, once he's dressed down, he's going to be heinous a few months later when he comes back out of jail. <laughs> Which he does like three or four times in the movie, comes out of jail. <laughs> so I don't know how the justice system works, but it seems like they get like very short sentences and then you're out again. Uh, but uh, everybody's up for grabs and everybody's a target in this movie, which uh, makes it uh, a bit scary, too, that uh, this character William Hope plays is going to go after anyone if pushed uh, too much. And it doesn't take a lot to push Ho. You just say no to him and he's going to turn on you instantly. Right. Well, one of the other funny subtitles was uh, My Organ Needs to Eat. That's the kind of stuff that William Hope throws out there. And it is funny, but he's so scary despite. So, uh, And, you know, he, he comes in in his first scene and he, you know, get his, gets it on with his wife again after being in jail for three, four months, you know, and starts raping his wife in the other room while the family is sitting there eating dinner. And, and you know, and he howls like an animal when he, when he climaxes, you know. <laughs> wow! And, and, you know, I, I love, I'm laughing my ass off, but it, it's still amazingly enough it doesn't turn you know too comical for its own good i mean in the end i think it's a very scary performance and uh, it's all a vicious circle for for this family they they won't move uh hugo's character won't move for his parents sake and uh, it seems like they're, they're, they're stuck in this black you know dark black dark nightmare and it's a really frightening uh frightening in that regard i think that this is um there's a birthday celebration uh, scene where they, they're celebrating like the grandfather's uh, birthday and William Ho enters like the banquet, and I don't remember the details now, but he breaks uh, a bottle over some over someone's head, I believe, uh, and that launch into violence is, you know, extremely frightening. And then it's the audience gets to cheer because Hugo at that point, that's when he kicks his ass, you know, when Hugo fights back finally. It's in that scene, so I really, um, I really enjoy that. And, and the middle middle sex scene, which goes on for very long, the turns that it takes are. I, I greatly enjoy it because it, it is sexy, it is passionate. These two are passionate with each other, even though he literally like tries to steer her away from his crotch, you know, because that that part isn't working. He tries to get her away, but you know she is into him a whole lot, and that is kind of heartfelt. But within this very sexy blue and well lit scene, it all turns very sad too. It's hard for him to communicate this, and he has to reject her, and that takes a toll on her but she still wants to give it like a third go i you know i want you and it still doesn't work and in the end she has to you know have you know to talk about a cliche she has to have a scene in the shower you know where she masturbates <laughs> and and still that in my mind plays into the drama of it all and 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 in that scene you get another in this dvd version that we watch from universe they have uh, some shots that clearly come from a different print so, for instance, uh, we have degraded print quality when we get when we get the full frontal male nudity when yeah. Hugo is standing there. You know, look at it, look at it. <laughs> you know. But then again, I don't know if the laser disc actually had this scene because um, it has happened before. This is necessarily not um, the un the uncut version. Uh, other video versions might have had some of these scenes, but for the Universe DVD version, they worked from a quite a cut print, 
and they sourced some other stuff and uh, tried to compile something akin to Uncut. It still has missing violence and all of that, but the rape slash sex scene between William Ho and his wife, um, the actress is uh, Shampoy K. That is definitely um, from somewhere else. You, you you see the print go a lot more grungy than uh, <laughs> than it was before. So the the rape scene towards the end, you know, leave it to Billy to turn our stomachs a little bit extra with that. Um, rape scene uh of billy chung by william ho uh with the mother there as well uh, it's um it, it doesn't go on for long but billy does turn our stomach uh, quite a bit and um and the domestic violence and fights uh, are represents towards the end represents some some good action directing in all honesty i mean there, there's some hard knocks and falls and all of that to be had and uh, to be taken not by the actors so uh you know you, you could applaud the action team as well on this one and and uh, yeah, I greatly enjoy it. There, there are some twists toward the end that uh, I won't spoil or anything, but um, that I didn't necessarily expect uh, character choices. And uh, I, I still find this movie to be very effective and uh, works as a um, for me uh, as a contrast to uh, the other movies of of Billy's that he made during this time. That he could be a little bit more sweet, show a little bit more heart, but ultimately it's um, it's a very dark movie, obviously too. So that's the end of my notes. Just a few more notes on availability. It was distributed by Ocean Shores in Hong Kong. They put out at least um, the Laserdisc they did, uh, and the DVD. I don't know if they did a VCD. Uh, as did Universe, as we discussed. Uh, they assembled footage from elsewhere for their version, uh, which was something they did for the Daughter of Darkness DVD as well. But that was still missing many snippets that was on the Ocean Shores VHS. So that DVD is still quite cut of uh, Daughter of Darkness. And uh, I'm hoping to, at the later show, uh, confirm uh, what the uh, Ocean Shores uh, Laserdisc of um, of uh, Brother of Darkness is like, because I have ordered it. And uh, maybe some of the gravest violence, like a stabbing, which is actually a dream sequence. I won't uh, say more, but it is actually a dream sequence. Uh, that's almost entirely missing on the Hong Kong DVD. You just see someone taking a knife, and then you see the aftermath, essentially. The Universe DVD, unfortunately, looks like and the Ocean Shores version like it's out of print so check out eBay and if worse comes to worse uh, look for the various file sharing communities out there for a copy of Brother of Darkness if you find this um, to be uh, to sound appealing so that's the end of my notes uh, anything you want to add guys before we move over run over to run and kill if you will no I'm good right yeah, on I'm... break time for us maybe and the listeners and uh, we'll be back to discuss uh, one of Billy Tank's I guess more, more, more known movies Run and Kill uh, one of his funniest movies that's uh, all I gotta say right now <laughs> I have a dark sense uh, sense of humor and uh, I find this movie hilarious so there you go be right back after the break back and this is the discussion of run and kill from 1993 and um, the plot of this movie taken from my review of the film propane gas shop owner Chung played by Ken Cheng lives a happy life until the day he finds his wife played by Lily Lee having sex with one of his um, 
uh, one of his uh, co-workers uh, I think it was anyway she, she has sex with someone else but that's the point uh, he simply walks away and goes out to get drunk at a city bar called 1997 uh, in his drunken state he accidentally enlists a gang to murder his wife an event that is just the beginning of a downward spiral into hell almost literally uh, without enough money to pay for their fulfilled task he takes refuge to the mainland where he hopes another gang will help him solve the conflict Amongst that mainland gang is Vietnamese soldier Ching Fung, played by Simon Yam, who is about to make Chung's life an even bigger living hell than it already was. Yeehaw, here we go. Simon Yam, we've discussed and all that, we won't return to him. Uh, everybody knows about Simon Yam and all that, but we haven't discussed Ken Cheng as much, and uh, he's, he's part of the Category 3 explosion, kind of. I mean, he's, I think his production company, short-lived production company, was behind Dr. Lam. Uh, he was Martini Films, right? Mm, I think so, yeah. yeah. This too, actually, isn't it? Oh, that, that I didn't check, so everything... Yeah, I'm all... pretty sure that, uh, the Martini did Run and Kill, and maybe even Red to Kill. I'm not sure about Red to Kill, though. Right. Yeah, he's certainly been a uh, behind-the-scenes person as well, despite uh, his biggest, you know, claim to fame is, uh, as a fantastic, in my mind, a character actor. And uh, really one of the finest actors in Hong Kong cinema and recognizable for his portly looks, obviously. But, um, you know, that's uh, his calling card, I guess. Uh, that's his uh, trademark. <laughs> he started out in TV in the 70s, being cast in what was called Hong Kong's first soap opera, simply called Hotel. Uh, began frequenting film more and more as the 70s went on, logging fine work in, for instance, Dennis Yu's savage movie, The Beasts, from 1980. That is a class- classic and a half, uh, The Beasts. Uh, kind of deliverance, uh, chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre feeling across that movie. It's really nasty. Nasty The Beasts. Did you guys see that at any point? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I love The Beasts. It's uh, definitely one I think we'll cover, Josh, on, on this show. It's, uh, it was before the category free rating, but man, oh man, it would have gotten a free easily. And uh, a movie that turned into a hardcore porn uh, edit eventually by someone else. There's one rape scene in the scene, they shot hardcore porn stuff for it. You know, come on, <laughs> Le- leave some stuff alone. It's actually a very bad version. It doesn't help at all. Well, uh, The Beast is great, though, because also it's one of those uh, Hong Kong movies where it's like, you know, not just go to another country and run into a bunch of inbred homicidal maniacs, but go to one of the outlying islands and run into one of the uh, homicidal maniacs. Like, the island is another one. I mean, there's so many of these movies where it's like, you leave downtown Hong Kong and you are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, the island is a great classic, too. Um, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to covering that on this show uh, because it's, uh, you know, I, I like the concept of uh, Hong Kong cinema echoing Deliverance, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that kind of backwards horror, if you will. I mean, there's no oh, yeah. literally no Texas Chainsaw Massacre in Hong Kong as such, you know, but uh, you know, the closest, I guess, we, was Tiger on Beat with the Chainsaw Fight, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, Kent was also in Kirk Wong's for Club, uh, supporting actor, I think, in that one. Uh, logged work at uh, Shaw Brothers, such as Murderer Pursues and Mob Fix Patrol. Uh, but it became clear as the 80s went on, and certainly in the 90s, that uh, versatility was what we would associate Kent Cheng with. And he was cast in a variety of genres and movies, uh, not only comedies, but as the unlucky fatty of Run and Kill tonight uh, that we're looking at. He's the surgeon slash organ transplanter in Sex and Sam, the one who puts uh, 
the takes away Lawrence Um's penis and puts a I've even forgot if what was a horse penis on on horse him in that penis, one. I think, yeah. So so he's the tra- transplanter showing off uh, all his uh, all his uh, wonderful uh, um, sterile gear in that one, <laughs> like a guillotine <laughs> that's going to chop his old one off. He's uh, wonderful in that movie. Uh, he's uh, Lam Sai Wing or Butcher Wing in the first Once Upon a Time in China, one of his most seen roles that was seen. Uh, I, w- I would think, and also the villain of uh, he's the villain of a crime story which is a very memorable role. So those two movies kind of is um, most, uh, has been mostly seen internationally, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also the director and star of uh, Why Me, where he essayed the role uh, of the mentally challenged character called Fat Cat, which is, I think is a very memorable role because he turned up in another movie called The Beloved Son of God, but also like way later in a Jillian Chung movie called Happy Go Lucky which I think is where Ken Cheng reprised his role as Fat Cat. So it must have like made an impression on the general public or at least in the cinema community that this, this character is, is something we can bring back to some extent. And, and Why Me is problematic partly because it's such a melodramatic film, but it, it's a solid uh, doc movie about uh, you know, the issue of social workers, the difficulty of working with social worker, uh, working as a social worker, I think Chai and Fat has a supporting uh, role in that one, and uh, it turns violent as well. So this is kind of, you know, the big, uh, for, for, for me, one of the big threes, you know, in terms of great Ken Cheng performances, uh, Run and Kill is uh, up there. So, okay, so we're at the discussion of Run and Kill. One of the um, fairly known ones out of this Category 3 explosion, I think, is one of the, you know, as I said, one of the five, top three Ken Cheng performances, in my view. Maybe this is one of the, Free that's always quoted when it comes to watching these kind of category three movies. Uh, Run and Kill comes up often, and it's another Billy Tang movie, so it goes to show that he's a legend in the genre. So, your views on Run and Kill, Joshua? You know, I'm really almost just more curious to hear uh, your take on the movie because of the uh, <laughs> you know, d- dis- <laughs> discussions of it, uh, you know, being hilarious and whatnot, which, you know. I, I consider myself to have a fairly uh, bent sense of humor. You know, I'm, I'm I, I, I think you dislike me heavily now. Why the <laughs> fuck does he think that's funny? It's just messed up. No, Why no. can is that Swedish type of humor? <laughs> no, I think there's something wrong with me because, like, when I first uh, like there's movies like the dark, you know, darkly humorous movies. A lot of the times they just do not hit me the right way. Like, um, which, you know, I'll preface all of what I'm saying right now is the fact that I love Run and Kill. I love this movie. Mm. But, like, back in 2001, 2002, whenever I, Visitor Q kind of first hit, and, like, it wasn't talked about anywhere, so I never really read any reviews when I went into that movie. Uh, I watched Visitor Q and thought it was just the most fucked up, just scary thing I'd ever I seen in my life. I love Visitor Q. That is As a do I. funny fucking movie. Man. See, that's the thing. Like, I watched <laughs> it, and I'm watching it like, holy Jesus. Oh, no, that's not shit on his hand. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> he's, he's, raping a, he's raping a corpse, and he's, st- corpse, and he's stuck <laughs> and, inside a corpse. Oh, no. That's funny. And, you know, so, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if I, I probably watched it today, I'd probably still have the same views. Like, this is so fucked up. But, you know, I loved it because it manipulated me, and it made me feel like really i don't know just horrible <laughs> you know as bad as that sounds i enjoy the fact that this movie had the power to do that and i love that and um there's movies like very bad things i think it was called mm-hmm. like it's supposed to be comedic but about killing hookers or whatever 
And it was another one of those things where I just I didn't really laugh, you know. I, just, I thought it was a drama almost. That movie I could understand is more comedic, but like Visitor Q and Run and Kill, when I watch it, you know, like I'm just in, I'm in there with Kent Chang. Like I'm like, you know, the beginning part of the film, you know, the whole thing with there's you mentioned how his wife cheats on him and what have you. There's some funny stuff in there. There's some comedy bits and everything, and I, I get that. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of you know, it's funny or what have you. But as the movie progresses and these horrible things start happening, worse and worse, and the violence starts to stack up, you know, I just kind of move away from like laughing to the point where I'm like, oh my god, poor Kenching, this is horrible. And uh, yeah, the movie just it it elicits a reaction from me and I absolutely love the fact that it can do that and uh, that's the reason I love it you know I, I'm, I'm curious about the um because I know there's other people I, you know I saw it on the Facebook group and everything that talking about the humor of the film and everything and uh, <laughs> were you waiting for like a ah, moment like yeah well, like, when is that gonna I, happen <laughs> when I watched it this time you know going into it like knowing that everybody considers it this to be this awesome black comedy I kind of, I'm in that frame of mind like I'm trying to <laughs> I want to see that side of it and I, I, I'm still blind to it, I'm oblivious I'm an idiot, whatever Well, well but, if you don't think the head losing moment is funny then you're not going to find this movie funny I, I think that's I'm, the most hilarious thing in a movie without yeah, spoiling it, anything Looking back on it, I'm like, I wonder if that's one of the things they yes, think like, so funny. Yes. like to me it's like, fuck no it <laughs> just happened. It, 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 I'm there. I guess as more of an emotional thing uh, than I am as like. Um, You're still human. The rest viewer. of us are lost. That's the no, thing. Don't say that because I sit and watch like you know friggin' Muzan E, and I'm watching like uh, tumbling dolls of flesh and all these horrible Japanese movies about girls being sawed to bits or whatever. So it's like <laughs> I'm not like a very. Um, Puritan dude or anything like that. It's just I watch it, and I, I guess I get just caught up in the characters and the moments or whatever. <laughs> uh, right. But I love it. You know, it is a very. I think it's a very powerful movie for me, at least. You know, by ultimately think it's a laugh riot. But yeah, I think it's a as a piece of just exploitation and uh, pushing the limit. The movie starts off at one pace and then slowly like becomes you know a little more unpredictable here and then it becomes a you know a little more unpredictable and by the end of it you're just at a completely different pitch from where you started you know i, I find that the movie like the narrative of it it's not it doesn't really follow conventional a conventional build you know you don't expect it okay well you know now you've got this guy mad at Kent Ching because of the money issue or whatever you don't expect Simon Yam's character to enter into it and the whole brother thing it's it you know the way that the narrative is like kind of built it, it doesn't really almost doesn't make sense but it does make sense you know you can keep up with it but you're like holy fuck where did they come up with this like where does <laughs> where does this come from what you know what was the genesis of these ideas and how they all come together because normally you just see okay well this guy gets in trouble with some uh, triads or whatever and he owes them money and uh, the rest of the movie is going to play off of that back and forth between these two or whatever. Well, then there's this different, you know, uh, nemesis that steps into the fold. And the reason he's mad at Ken Ching is because his brother dies in his arms or whatever. And a little, a little awkward there, but, I mean, it's it's brilliant because what the, f you know, you have no idea how this is all coming together. And, you know, it's a shocker. 
two things. Uh, one, do uh, do you even remember that Danny Lee was in this? After all was said and done, like oh, because it's <laughs> you know considering the things that goes moment. on, right? You know, it's you you can't forget that Danny Lee was in this as a cop. You know, I totally did before rewatching it. You know, and then really and pretty much, I wasn't going to mention him because I had forgot him until you reminded me <laughs> just now. So yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things, kind of a little bit lost in the shuffle. But hey, it's Danny Lee playing a cop. You know? And and my final question, uh, I. Do you think uh, do you think it goes too far for acceptance, or you think it's good that you push uh, that that cinema pushes limits sometimes? Because this one goes far. Yeah, my girlfriend, I wouldn't probably put this in front of her. <laughs> it's one that's recommended for a very select audience. I think. I mean, mm-hmm. there, you know, it, maybe there's more people that would be open to this sort of uh, cinema than I would expect, or whatever. But you know, and. But I, I, you know, I wouldn't sit sit in front of a, a, an audience that isn't prepared for a movie that's going to go this far. Mm-hmm. You know, right on. Uh, okay, you're going to have to wait for my why I think it's funny uh, review <laughs> later. We'll, we'll let Grady go next year. What's your thoughts on Running Kill? I love Running Kill. I mean, I think it's a fantastic movie. It's so great. And, you know, the, one of the things I love about it is how political it is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in a sense, it's very much like Brother of Darkness. Uh, it's basically a totally under-equipped wimp who is relentlessly pursued by a psycho who has to toughen up by the end and, like, take him on mano a mano. And instead of having two brothers who hate each other, this one has two brothers who love each other. I mean, there's some elements of that, but... It's so political. I mean, it, it's very much, you know, here are these Hong Kong people like Kent Jang, who is very much a Hong Kong icon from the Fat Cat movie, um, or movies at this point. There have been two of them. Um, you know, and here he is being this beloved Hong Kong guy, but he's concerned about money and his job and paying people off when they're mad at him and all this, and getting drunk and sloppy. And he's contrasted with Simon Yam, who's this not only this hard-ass mainlander who really cares about revenge and commitment and seeing things through and family bonds and it's this very much it's this great clash and you know there's that great moment where i think it's um oh shoot who is it who plays fanny the the Uh, chick in this Esther Kwan. No, no, it's Esther Kwan, you're right. Yeah, Esther Kwan. You know, and she's the middleman, and she engineers this ridiculously messed up situation. And then once (laughs) everyone's shooting each other, she's like, I'm just the middleman, but I didn't mean anything. You know, leave me alone, which is such, like, the the mainland attitude towards Hong Kong at the time, you know. They're they're the middleman. They're making money off both sides. And then, you know, when something happens, it gets them in trouble. They run to the big daddy to bail them out. Um, And whether it's the British or, or now the mainland, and, you know, the fact that Simon Yam is this Vietnam veteran, because, you know, they did send Chinese troops to Vietnam. Um, they were mostly engineers. They were uh, uh, anti-aircraft guys. But, but you know, about a thousand of them didn't come back. And apparently they were treated really badly, not only by the, the North Vietnamese army who asked for them to come and basically ostracized them and didn't give them any support when they were there. But, you know, they were getting shot up and bombed. And so here's this hardcore forgotten soldier from the mainland going up against these soft Hong Kong wimps. But 
in terms of the comedy value, I park my car somewhere in the middle of you guys. <laughs> I think this thing that Billy Tang does that's so smart is you always hear people talking about character-based comedy. You know, it can't just be a joke. It's got to be a joke that comes from who the person is. And I think he does that to a large extent. His movies are like character-based horror movies. I mean, the reason... Uh, you know, Dr. Lamb is, is one character. Run, uh, running Kill is these two characters, you know, Simon Yam and how relentless he is and Kent Chang and what a wimp he is. And then you go to Red to Kill and you've got the three characters. And the comedy comes from the fact that these people act exactly like themselves throughout. I mean, you know, there's the ironic stuff like, oh, I got drunk and accidentally hired a hitman to kill my uh-huh. wife. But then there's this character stuff. I mean, whether it's Kent Jang singing Surfing Bird at the beginning and sticking his face in an egg yolk to make his daughter laugh, contrasted with the end where he's watching her get, you know, gasoline poured all over her. Um, you know, that kind of irony. But there's also this element that, like, you know, he's always begging for people to stop. I mean, it's the middle of a fight. You know, people are stabbing each other in the face, and he's like, we can talk this out, <laughs> which is ridiculously funny. I mean, in Simon Yam, I mean, there's just something so hilarious about how true to his hardcore badassery it is. That sequence where he's walking through the refugee camp, and he, like, kills a dozen people and it's literally does not badass. break his stride. Yeah. He does, and it's only almost becomes funny at a certain point you're like this guy is such a badass his nose is bleeding he's so angry like an anime character you know and it's like and i was waiting a... for simon yam to have something bionic in him by the yeah, end. <laughs> I know. and so i mean the, the, this character stuff you know uh, fanny where she's like you know hey guys lead me out of this as people are shooting each other in the same room like i'm going to take a rain check on this fight i mean just this ridiculous these ridiculous human moments that happen or like danny lee who shows up you know very marginally as you point out as his patented badass inspector and they're like oh we've got this guy locked down with a million swat dudes in this building oh he just defeated us with a bed sheet never mind like there's this there's this element of comedy but i also think what's interesting is he does this a lot in Red to Kill where it's like he puts in these sort of character-based humorous moments in these deeply serious scenes and so you don't know what to make of it you know you're am i laughing here am i crying what's happening is horrible but there's a funny human element to it and red to a running kill i think is really interesting because he basically that last scene in the warehouse is really interesting because that's for me where the laughs stop i mean there's nothing funny about that scene and and when i sat with an audience and they've laughed at that scene what goes through my head is you people are soulless assholes but (laughs) that is also the point of the movie where simon yam's cracking jokes it's the first time in the movie he is actually making jokes on screen and it features the movie's biggest sight gag, which is the thing with the daughter's head, which is funny on such a sick level. And it's like it's it's a very weird audience experiment. There's all these sort of like extreme character moments that are funny. And then the sort of laughter stops at that point because the stakes are so incredibly high in that warehouse scene. But that's when he actually starts injecting jokes into the movie for the first time, not just behaviorism, the behavioral stuff that's funny because it's so true to the character and out of context. But And so it's a really interesting uh, uh, experiment in, like, audience torture, you know? Uh, you guys have been laughing a little. Well, I'm going to give you some jokes in the darkest part of the movie. What are you going to do with yourself now? 
So, I mean, that's my I would have I... loved, by the way, Grady, to hear, to, to like, the scenario in the cinema would be akin to, to two reactions coming when the head-losing moment enters. You know, pe- people saying, obviously, what the fuck? Or you hear tons of people spewing out their sodas at that point, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, you know I would we... have loved that to be the actual scenario. <laughs> well, you know, actually, when we showed Red to Kill uh, in New York years and years ago, Fights broke out. Uh, there no were some way. people who were laughing uproariously at the movie. And look, they're funny, ridiculous parts. I find it incredibly depressing and savage, but I'm not going to deny that, yes, there are funny parts in Red to Kill, but people were laughing uproariously, and a fight almost broke out in the theater. Someone was like, shut the fuck up, you assholes, and things <laughs> got really tense. And afterwards, I actually know a couple of guys who came to see the movie together, and they really had a falling out over it because two wow. of them were laughing and one wasn't. And he was really upset. He was like, I can't believe how cynical you are. You guys, like, everything has to be ironic. And, and like they got in a real argument in the lobby, and so it, it was interesting to see. I mean, not too far removed from what you're saying. Wow! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Billy Tang, bless you. You're pushing buttons all the way into real life. <laughs> Decades later, yeah. Uh, fucking hell! Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah I, that's my take on it. So. It's uh, well, it's an obviously like and love for me, and uh, I mean, I it's gloriously messed up. So am I. It's extreme. I kind of am as well. It's funny. I'm not, but <laughs> it, it's it's also so it's also well made. You know, further showing Tang was the supreme commander yeah. of whatever he put into the category three rating. And and again, I mean, the, the, this, uh, I you know, it sounds like I'm, I'm kissing your ass now, Grady. But I always I'm, I'm jealous of the fact that you got a, apocalyptic ferocity into <laughs> something talking about Billy Tang because it's so true. It's darkly comical to me, you know. I might, might be sick, but I think it, I think it's darkly comical in an overall sense, rather than me picking out like five scenes that are comical. Mm-hmm. Because the spiral, the downward yeah. spiral for Ken Shay, you know. <laughs> please give him a break. Please give him a break. Oh shit, he killed Simon Yams' brother. Oh no, no, oh no. You know, it just goes on and on and on. Just stop, stop already. But that is funny to me. So, uh, well, yeah, and can, if you don't mind me jumping, I think this yeah. belongs to a genre of movie like Martin Scorsese's After Hours, where it's some everyman and just events just spiral out of control. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it belongs firmly. And most of those movies are black comedies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and on this being a true crime movie, I think it's. I think you said earlier, great, it's very Fred Bear, but I think someone essentially read a headline or a basic story yeah. and wrote the script around it. And I think the poster campaign, uh, I've seen images of uh, cut-out newspaper clippings, so mm-hmm. I think uh, they were echoing that somewhat. And um, be- Because it was kind of the rage thing, too, to have based on real-life uh, real crimes or what have you. The, yeah, the untold yeah. story being kind of the most known out of those, um, out of those uh, stories and what have you. And Dr. Lamb, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a wonderful to have that contrast. What what happens at the beginning, and then you realize what happens at the end. You know, I always love that when movies are good. I love that you, when you think back on movies, that they had such a light aura about them, and then it ended up like this. I mean, think of how Bullet in the Head starts. John Woo's Bullet in yeah. the Head with the with, with the rendition of the monkeys. I'm a believer, and then two hours later, this has happened. You know, when you're when you're completely devastated. So I think I, I think that's clever when when used correctly, if you will. 
and um, you know Ken Cheng is as Greg Graves said you know the everyday man he's a good at his job he's liked he's a good he's a good son and the wall will be taken away <laughs> and it and it will be darkly funny and I don't know I'm not the right person to express this I don't know but do you think guys it, that the fact that there's a bar called 1997 in this is it at all you think infused in this movie a kind of fear and dread about what's going to happen in 1997 is it literally the manifestation of 1997 is the bar do you think well that's... you know i think i mean that's a real bar in long Kwai fong and you see it in a lot of movies it's got a great neon sign and i think they were really good about working with filmmakers so they wound up getting used a lot but that and, and also i gotta say a lot of the anxiety about 97 that stuff came out in 1990 after tiananmen square in 89 mm, like a lot yeah. of that stuff had been played out earlier but um, that said, yeah, I think there is no doubt that Billy Tang knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, you know, ho- soft Hong Konger, hard mainlander, and it all kicks off in a bar called 1997. Mm-hmm. I have no doubts. I think it says Kent beneath the bar as well for some reason. Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of going back to the scene where Ken Cheng finds his wife having sex with someone else. It's kind of heartbreaking that he says in a moment, go into the bedroom instead, then goes out, closes the door, and then realizes, damn it, I should have reacted. So, so, yeah. You know, in another way. So it's that, the character comes up with his good stuff way later, you know, and uh, yeah. and, and then he starts taking blame. You know, how am I going to fix this? Uh, was I not good enough? You know, he, he's, it's very, you know, that marriage, I, I don't know how, I, I'm, I'm not saying that a portly guy and a thin woman can't get together or anything, but it seems like a marriage that was, I don't know if she married him for money, if he had money at one point. It seems like such a bare-fred marriage, at least at that point. So it was bound to go somewhere. Unfortunately, it went that route, and she she gets viciously killed. <laughs> Not by him, but based on that, that is hilarious, though, how, how that happened, how he orders the hit. Uh, that, that he murmurs, you know, I want her dead. I want her dead. You want her dead? Okay. That costs this much, and then he takes his, uh, the money out of his uh, out of his uh, wallet, and then he walks away. I want her dead, drunk. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that's I, awesome I, revenge too. <laughs> yeah, I want her the, to get drunk. Okay. And but and that is brilliant because you get that scene immediately. These mm. these uh, tried henchmen show up, and they are not uh, you know subtle about what they're going to do. It they're going to rape if they can, but they are going to viciously kill. As well, and the way they kill her, you know, just yeah. you know, slicing her neck open on the um, on on the blade that's uh, already like uh, uh, attached to the closet, you know, and and it goes faster, you know, and then it's over, you know. That scene is so chaotic in that little space, yeah. and then it happens like that. He's passed out unconscious and got blood in his face, you know. Well, it's also an amazing bit of restraint because I think that scene takes place at what, like the twenty-minute mark, mm-hmm. and before then, it's almost a very boring movie. And it's amazing to me that like he can actually, the direct Billy Tang knows what's coming. You know, he knows all hell's going to break loose, and it's 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 a you know he doesn't even indicate anything. There's no even like stinger before the credits at the very beginning. To, mm-hmm. Oh, chill out. You know, it's boring first twenty, but we're going to get to the blood. I mean, it's really a nicely done directorial choice. And, and even that violence is really close to Category 2B violence, in, in all honesty. I mean, uh, yeah. it, it's vicious, but not you could get away with it at the Category 2B level as well. So it's not like that's the Category 3 warning, if you will, like the telltale signs of uh, there are the scenes uh, that uh, violence is that are going to showcase that, you know. 
but when all is said and done, it's, it's not a, a it's a polished movie. You know, it's uh, it's not rushed. It's compelling visually, especially the deeper into it we get with the scenes in the forest. You know, bring in the blues again. You know, Tony Mew and Billy Tang and many Hong Kong filmmakers of the nineties loved the blue lights. You know, and good on them because it looks good. And I I loved when blues and red especially on vhs just bled into one another on a, in a hong kong movie that's just mwah, lovely that's art to me <laughs> so um yeah it's just so funny that it never stops you know he tries to resolve it with one gang that doesn't help you know with johnny wang's gang wang lung Wei's in this movie uh, and then goes to the mainland try to resolve it there it just seems like it is one bad decision after another and uh, <laughs> and and it's it it's it's lovely how it plays out you know it turns out to, to it turns out a hong kong stabbing massacre after a while because this movie contains that, that was my main note from this viewing a lot of uncomfortable stabbings yeah. include including one and this is the prime one and we're, we're going to talk one of the cuts to the hong kong version uh they stab which is simon yan's brother with a pipe they stab him into the knee i think and drain him of blood essentially and and you you see elements of bad guys triads in in this hong kong movie that you've never seen it otherwise you know a different level of being heinous you know especially if a guy who you know drinks the blood you know that pouring yeah. out of the uh, out of the um, the tube that they stabbed him with you know yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you know now you know this movie means business and uh, and 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 still you haven't really seen the business it really means you know because simon yam busts into into a place and frees his brother and then you know it's it's so many kind of movies in one kind of because you start in start in one place and and you've gone through different priorities directions uh you've gone through through the unexpected and that i like because it never stops for ken chiang you know and uh, and and i guess one of the funniest moments is when he's he's asked to carry Simon Yan's brother, who's almost dead essentially, and uh, and <laughs> he, if when he drops him and then he rolls down the hill and it just goes on and on and on, and then the brother is dead, and then the new enemy is Simon Yam, and you oh, no no stop <laughs> this, but I don't know, it's uh, it's uh, it's again all bets are off, you know, innocence will get in the way, and Billy Tang will show it uh in a very clever cinematic way i mean we, we've almost spoiled it and i won't say it firmly what happens but you know a character is burned this movie burned uh and very cleverly so in this very simon yam is a psychotic that's also very calculate calculated he knows how to set up a contraption like that with a chair in the middle middle and a lot of ropes with gasoline surrounding the person who's sitting in the, in, in the chair and then lights that on fire and the person in the chair just you know has to take that and the most disturbing aspect of that scene is not necessarily that but but that simon yam's soldier is just dead in the face he looks at that person on fire just completely dead stare and and, and that uh, you know he's an animal but he he's yeah. an animal not like william ho type of animal he only comes out occasionally but when he does you know boy oh boy clever and he knows uh, how to foil the police obviously as uh, great alluded to and uh, and uh, I, I wanted to also uh, I heard this uh, tidbit on the commentary for story of Ricky where Jude Poyer's stuntman and the writer Jude Poyer 
talked a little off of category three movies and he heard either directly or indirectly that the um, this movie's writer brian chang who's now a director actually he, he either got the quote that he's not at all proud to have run and kill on his resume or just completely befuddled why it's at all popular and that happens uh, sometimes yeah. with um, when movies are m- movies do get popular overseas without spoiling it though uh, which we kind of have but i, I won't uh, I, i'm trying to avoid it uh, the another funny bit is a continu- continuity flaw i think anyway is that the charcoal co- corpse of the <laughs> character has been burnt is so small <laughs> It looks like the, a little Buddha statue. Yeah, exactly. But... That, that character shrunk like ten times after being burnt. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, what, what happens to that uh, charcoal corpse? It loses its head. You know, but, whoa! Stop it! Oh my god! It's uh, but, but, but it's too. It, it is too funny. I actually just. I, I, it's part of that downward spiral that I laugh at, and it's uh, it's all good. The only thing I had a kind of issue with, uh, but I, I do like it, is towards the end. It seems like Simon Yam turns a bit too invincible and a bit too like, a bit like the Terminator. Yes, yeah, he does become the Terminator in the final. You know, he can now. take he can take being on fire and being impaled essentially, but uh, you know, it's all good. It's uh, it's all fine. Uh, so I mean, they, they, there's no shortage of uh, love here, and uh, rewatchability is high. And uh, mm-hmm. watching it, um, uh, watching it uncut, I mean, uh, it, it has its. Uh, advantages i mean uh, universe had distribution rights in hong kong and you can still find that dvd on ddd house if you're willing to shell out uh, but but if you're willing to shell out a little extra germany's cine club has put out a remastered dvd with uh, english subtitles that is to boot from the print that has uh, the extra bits during the uh, uh, the guy who's drained of blood there's some extra bits of uh, you know blood dripping into a bucket for instance they cut that out and uh, and has an extra scene of uh, Ken Cheng walking the streets eating what have you before he gets to the 1997 bar so it's uh, that might have been cut out of the cinema version that particular uh, storytelling bit but uh, regardless the remaster print that's in circulation is uncut and has that as an extra um, extra scene in, in the movie and um it, it certainly doesn't slow slow it down, but it wasn't butchered anyway for the category three rating. That's uh, that's the point as well. You get you get headshots and uh, a lot of stabbings are all intact and all of that. So it's <laughs> except for that stabbing, of course. So yeah, so it's all good. Uh, so we are essentially done with our Billy Tan coverage for you know the, the category three coverage, and uh, we might do just because we are focusing on other movies in the true life crime explosion that happened in Hong Kong so we might just for, just because uh, take on his movie Casino from 1997 but uh, it's a triad movie that was financed by the triad it's based on <laughs> yes yeah, so it's a vanity project definitely and, and Simon Yam plays that real life uh, triad it's not a very good movie but you know we might do that regardless the the theme is going to be in between the choices in the title of the theater. Uh, the theme is going to be uh, focusing a lot more on these true life crime movies. Uh, for instance, that uh, remains of a woman slash legal innocence. Those two movies were based on the same crime, so we might focus on focus on that. But uh, so there's no new announcements yet for for this show. So, but uh, 
that that's going to be a focus and uh once we get back to the tidy wider theater from this back room the back room <laughs> screening room <laughs> to the massive but not tidy wider theater ne- you know next time it will be our japanese lee show so just for just for reference sake what's happening next time at the tidy wider theater what two movies have you chosen for us and me terrifying high school girls lynch law classroom <laughs> As well as Rape the 13th Hour from Yasuhara Haspe. Two uh, very great, very sleazy movies. It sounds like there's a movie that, where they rape uh, a character for 13 hours. And, in the, <laughs> and during well, the 13th hour, it stops. Okay. There's about <laughs> 30 win, 31 women, let's just say. There's a, or maybe a 13 times 3 rapes or something like that. There's... Uh, <laughs> quite a number of rapes in that movie it's just rape 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 which there's my review right there so spoiler alert okay no need to do that (laughs) (laughs) no but you'll bring it I've asked you to bring the material and perspective and context if it can be if any context can be extracted from the rape genre of Japanese cinema (laughs) yes uh, but the Tidal Wider Theater allows for this experimentation, and uh, it'll be uh, ex- exciting for me because I haven't seen these movies, and I think it'll be a, very much a different experience compared to my regular rape in movies experiences. But who knows? So, so, so I will open each and every review uh, uh, for those two movies. What's wrong with you, Joshua? <laughs> <laughs> I will judge. <laughs> yes, do so. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But this is this weekend's least 13 done. Billy Tank coverage done of Bravo of Darkness and Run and Kill. Thank you very much to Grady Hendrix for almost being able to stick with us for the entire recording. But thank you very much for your views. And check out Grady's uh, book, uh, for instance, Occupy Space. It's on Amazon.com, so you can find it. And you can find all his, all his books under Grady Hendrix on Amazon.com. And uh, GradyHendrix.com is where he'll blog. This has been This Week in Sleaze on the Podcast on Fire network website, podcastonfire.com. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com old forum podcastonfire.com forward slash forum members only archive is still there bonus episodes will be done for various shows including this one those are posted on podcastonfire.com not on itunes and not on stitcher join the discussion over in the podcast on fire network discussion group you can find out by typing in podcast on fire network or going to our page facebook.com forward slash pof network and you'll find the direct link to the discussion group there Twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. Follow us on Twitter, therefore. And my writing at sogoodreviews.com and sleazykvideo.com is where you'll find the video reviews, including uh, written reviews for Run and Kill and Brother of Darkness. I didn't do video reviews at that point uh, when I did those reviews. and uh, So thank God. But I don't appear in the video review, so don't worry about that, listeners. You don't need to see me. No one needs to. And follow my nonsense on twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. iTunes, the various feeds are being um, separated. Uh, this Week in Stays has its very own feed right now, so you can subscribe to us and leave a rating and a comment if you like the show. That would very much be appreciated. And stream us via Stitcher if you prefer your podcasts delivered to you that way. Download the application to your computer from stitcher.com or download the application free from your nearest app store to your smartphone or tablet. And once you're in Stitcher, type in 
podcast on Fire Network and you can reach all the shows and add them individually. Again, thanks to Brian Kirby for designing our intro and outro. Shelflifeclothing.com is where you'll find his t-shirt line of uh, retro-themed, uh, uh, retro-themed artwork and movie-themed artwork and mashups of movies that doesn't exist and stuff like that. You know, again, his uh, Django contra Dracula t-shirt is fantastic. You know, Django versus uh, Django versus Dracula, not a movie that was made but should have been made. So, uh, again, your plugs, Joshua. VariedCelluloid.net is where I do all of my writing. Well, not all of my writing, but a good deal of my writing. And then there's... Uh, I do half, uh, half of my reviews on one site, and then <laughs> half of my reviews on another site. You can piece them together. <laughs> uh, I also write for RogueCinema.com, which is a website mostly focusing on American, but also foreign as well, uh, independent films. So mm-hmm. there's that as well. But uh, And then, you know, the vCinema podcast, vCinemashow.com it out the podcast is there and then there's just always something awesome to read on the website on the blog side so check it out right on uh, so as a sign of what do we say let's stop fucking <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man i don't know either. <laughs> i'm an experimental guy so that 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 is in its experimental stages i guess but uh, or, uh how about uh my parents are dead. Thank you. Get him. <laughs> Gotta get him in there. Uh, let's know. talk some fucking. Thank you. <laughs> let's talk fucking. Take your pants off. Rob, Robin, come here. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, right. yeah, a lot of things have been wrong in the movies we've covered tonight, so might, might as well carry that all the way through. So. Anyway, cheers everybody for listening and all of that. And thank you, Grady Hendrix, again. And thank you for listening. And then thank you for listening. And thank you for listening. I'm repeating myself. I'm a broken record. You know all that. But got all of our uh, listeners in there. So yeah, exactly. All, all of you. Yep. <laughs> Okie okay, dokie. Okay. Signing off, guys. See you next time. Bye. Peace.